back in, in the 70s, I studied about what God was doing and had done in Calcutta, India. I had to study about a couple that before I was born, they took a freighter, a freighter ship, and were sailed for two months, and it was no carnival cruise whatsoever, to go to a place that they thought they would just do some tent crusades just for a number of months, never realizing it'd be for more than 50 years. This morning, open your heart as we share a video clip with you right now. Open your heart to what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do in Calcutta, India. God bless you as you watch this. Calcutta is only nine miles long, four miles wide, with 22 million people. See the congestion of this city. I, I remember asking Mark, what can a young couple do in this congested city? And I remember him saying, we can't, but God can. And we started in a tent, bare piece of ground. And I'll never forget, a beggar walked into our tent service. And in the middle of Mark's message, he screamed out these words, Preacher, feed our bellies, and then try to tell us there's a God in heaven that loves us. He realized at that point, we could not reach people lying on the streets of Calcutta and the poor and the poverty-stricken in this huge city unless we had compassionate ministries. And so we started a feeding program, but it was at that time that Mother Teresa got to know about us and our interests in the feeding program. And she took us to the major garbage dump in Calcutta where all the garbage is thrown every day and burned every hour. And when we saw children jumping into the garbage for anything they may recycle or food to eat, our hearts broke and we said, no, we have to do something about this. We realized that there were so many poor children without education. We raised the money for the school, came back and built the school. And then we started going up class by class to the different sections of the school, grade by grade by grade. Pastor Mrs. Bantain had always had a special place for underprivileged children and the poor of the city. So we've always had also with us children who came from very poor homes but nobody knew who they were because everyone was treated the same. Everything got too small. We, um, we just had to get larger land. We searched and searched and couldn't find any land. And so finally one day Mark came home very excited and said, I found the land, an old cemetery. British have all gone. Kids are using it as a soccer field. 
And so we were able to get this huge piece of land, four blocks square, on Park Street. Our hospital was the first building that we constructed at Park Street property. And um, Mark was able to raise money just for the foundation and the first floor. But he always felt when he had the money to go ahead and God would supply the rest, which used to worry me a lot. In fact, I would tease him, say he has the faith and I have the ulcers, because I did the accounts. But when we dug the foundation, we ran into a lake, Calcutta being so low, I think below sea level almost. And when we saw that water, the construction company said, you'll need pilings under this building. And it's going to be a six-storied building, so we had to have a lot of pilings. We didn't have the money for the pilings at all. So Mark took a little Bible out of his pocket. He always carried a little Bible in the back of his pocket when he just would witness to anybody he would open the Bible. And he asked them for a rope, and he tied the rope around the Bible. And the staff that we had at that time all held hands around the water. And I thought, what in the world is he going to do? And I think everybody else thought that also. And he let the rope down with the Bible into the water and said, now all of us pray together. And of course, he led in prayer that the water will recede into the ground so we can build our hospital because God wants us to treat the sick in this hospital because it'll be the greatest arm of evangelism that we have. And immediately, the water started to go down, 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 down. It took some time. I'll tell you, those builders, the contractors' eyes were like saucers watching that water go down. And today, our basement in our hospital is the driest basement of any of the buildings surrounding our hospital. After the hospital was finished, Dad had a tendency to um, pick up anybody he thought needed a hospital bed. Kind of drove some of the doctors crazy. But one time he picked up a person who he knew he was going to die. And he brought him into the hospital and he, I remember he just said, I know he's going to die. And in fact, one of the doctors said, Pastor, why are you bringing us a dead man? And he said, well, if nothing else, I want him to know that somebody loves him and he dies between clean sheets. And so he, they brought him in, they cleaned him up, they put him in bed, and uh, Dad was talking to him about Jesus and saying something you know, to him that, you know, that Jesus loves him. And in this particular situation, you know, this gentleman was obviously passing away, and he would say to him, you need to love Jesus, you know, Jesus loves you. And he looked up at him and he said, are you Jesus? He had never heard. He didn't even know, you know, so he got an opportunity to share to him who Jesus was. So they reflected Christ in everything that they did. It was not uh, just a show. It was very genuine. 
and the compassion, the genuine love that they had for people was so outstanding uh, that I used to um, often tell them, you know, that I have not seen Jesus, but I have, I can tell you, I have definitely seen him in your lives. When Pastor Buntain was snatched away fairly, very suddenly, and the mantle of leadership fell upon Sister Halda, it was a huge burden upon her, not just because she had to pick up uh, the unfinished projects uh, that Pastor Buntain had, Pastor Mark had uh, initiated, but in a culture where uh, women are not given prominence. And in fact, at the time when she assumed leadership, there were very few, if any, women in India who were in ministry. And there was not even one lady who was ordained uh, to, to, to pastor. So she was the first woman of any nationality to be ordained as a pastor in the nation of India. And so it was quite an uphill challenge for her. But with time, as people began to see the anointing of God upon her life, and the effectiveness of the way God used her, people began to accept her leadership. And Halda Bantain has been the backbone of all of this work. Uh, Mark Bantain passed away in 1989, and the world around us thought that the work would collapse and would stop, and took a woman of God, a lady, who took one day at a time, and has perhaps achieved much more in the last 15-20 years than has been achieved in the previous uh, stint and today we talk about 200 plus schools or 700 churches I, I think this has been done because of relentless pursuit of Halda Bantain who's been able to really walk the road and keep still walking the road on behalf of the mission and so you know I look back 58 years and I think there was a time when a group of ministers came through here from Manila. They had held a big crusade in Manila. They took us out for dinner, told us how foolish we were to remain in Calcutta. They said, you know, you were promising a young evangelists in your country, and you're here in this dirty, filthy city. I mean, you're just burying yourself in this city, and you'll never be heard of again. I can remember those words so distinctly. You'll never be heard of again. And going home, I said to Mark, do you think that they're right? And I remember him saying, who brought us here? And I said, well, God brought us here. And he said, well, we'll leave when God tells us to.
You know, all I can say is to God be the glory, great things he has done. Not a tribute to us, but I think it was God's plan that we come at that time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. One life. It shows you what one life dedicated to God. One life in the hands of God. One faith, what it can do for the glory of God. Well, it is our sincere privilege on this glad day. This is a historic day for Becky and I. This is a historic day for Lakeside Assembly of God. The woman in the video, she's here this morning. Halda Buntade, would you give her a real good Lakeside Assembly of God honor? Amen. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. A genuine hero of the faith. Praise the Lord. And Hulda would say, all the glory goes to Jesus. I know that. Now, pastor, your pastor got a call from one of my dear friends who pastors a small little church in, in, near Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and pastors a church of a good 7,000. Uh, Randy Valmont, and, and uh, he was the little bird that whispered in my ear. And we are also privileged this morning because this dear young lady, I understand, is celebrating a birthday very, very soon, and she's celebrating her 59th birthday, <laughs> and we're going to sing happy birthday to her. Amen. Are you ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Hulda. Happy birthday to you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. And from our missions director, your own birthday cake to take on the plane with you and enjoy. Amen. Amen. The youngest girl I've ever had preach from my pulpit. Praise the Lord. There you go. Thank you so much. Amen. You all may be seated. God's blessings upon you. Thank you, thank you very, very much. I really appreciate your kindness this morning. Now, I don't know how much you know about India, but India is now the largest democracy in the world. 
with a population of over one billion people, soon will be larger than China. India has improved tremendously in technology, but I don't have to tell you that, do I? If you have a computer, something goes wrong with your computer, invariably, you pick up the phone and you talk to India. <laughs> Bangalore being the software capital of the world. But India is a very complex country because of the caste system. Now you say, what is a caste? A child's destiny is determined before they're even born. I remember when we first went to Calcutta, opened our first school, they said, you can't educate a low caste child. They don't have the mental ability to learn. But aren't you glad this morning that God is no respecter of persons? I walk into our hospital and you saw on the screen this morning, doctors, nurses, teachers in our classrooms, pastors in all of our churches, children that nobody cared about, but God cared. And through our educational system today, they are leaders in our mission. What to tell you about Calcutta? Nine miles long, four miles wide, 22 million people. Visitors that come to see us say wall-to-wall -wall people, and that's true. But there's one scripture in God's word, and I love it this morning. When I'm home from Calcutta and visiting churches every weekend, I love to tell them this scripture. It is so true. Withhold not good from them who... What is it? Withhold not good from them who deserve it. When it is in the power of your hand. Not my hand. Your hand to do it. And that's why I'm so grateful to churches that I visited. Because it's your sacrificial giving. I want you to know that nothing that you saw on the screen this morning would be possible if it hadn't been for missionary pastors like yours, churches like yours that have given and given and given sacrificially to build our six-storied hospital, build all our schools, build our churches. And it's because of your faithful faith promises, your faithful monthly giving, that we have been able to do the work in Calcutta and in all of the areas where we are now. When a very young couple stood on the SS Mauritania ship sailing for Calcutta, India, first class, second class, missionary class. <laughs> but the Sunday before, now we had only been invited to go to Calcutta for one year of evangelistic ministry. Mark had just come back from the Orient where he had spent six months in evangelism. Fifteen months later, we had an invitation to go to Calcutta. And here we are. Sunday before, Mark preaches in glad tidings in downtown New York, in Manhattan. Pastor's wife closes in prayer she asked me to come forward and stand beside Mark. 
She puts her hand on both our shoulders to pray. And she prayed a very strange prayer. She prayed, God, make this couple a blessing to India for years to come. <laughs> and believe me, she drug out those years. Going home in the car, I said to Mark, what did she mean years to come? <laughs> We're only going to Calcutta for one year. We did not know that God had different plans for our lives. When we got off the boat in Calcutta, I remember saying to Mark, what can a young couple do in this poverty-stricken city? And I can remember what he said, we can't, but God can. Yes. God can. We started in a tent, bare piece of ground, you saw it on the screen. Night after night, monsoon rains came. We couldn't stay in the tent any longer. We moved to an upstairs hall on the main street. And there was a nightclub underneath. They laughed at us. It held downstairs, heaven upstairs. <laughs> and it was, it was every night, every night. And then it was time to build a church. And the only property available was the property where we'd held the tent service owned by a Muslim family, and they weren't going to sell. But aren't you glad that prayer changes things? Yes. One day, that old Muslim man said to Mark, I don't know why I'm doing this, preacher. My family are all against me. Everyone sell you the land. Christmas Sunday, 1959, the first church was built in Calcutta in 100 years. Oh. Assembly of God Church. What a day of rejoicing it was. But everything got too small. Started a school, 200 children got too small. Everything got too small. We had to move. We had to build. Couldn't find any land. Searched and searched. One day, Mark came home very excited. And when God told Mark something, nothing changed his mind. He said, I found the land. I said, where? He said, on the main street of Calcutta. I said, impossible. We've searched the main streets. He said, no. He said, it's an old cemetery. And I said, a what? He said, the British have all gone. No graves. Kids are using it as a soccer field. I said, Mark, the burial board will never give you a cemetery to build a church and a hospital. He said, no, they won't, but God will. Today, in Calcutta, many hours ahead of us, services are already over. Every state in India has a different language. They come to Calcutta to work. We took a survey of the eight different languages. And in services today, Eight different services, eight different languages, eight pastoral staff. Do you know what? 5,000 people are worshiping and praising God today in the main church in Calcutta. And that's why I tell you, dear ones, impossible is one of God's favorite words. It was impossible, absolutely impossible. We were told Calcutta is an impossible city, but nothing is impossible 
to God. We started education. You heard on the screen, beggar, in our tent service, feed our bellies, then tell us there's a God that loves us. Little girl fainted in our classroom. When did you eat last, darling? I can't remember. Mark rushed her to a city hospital, two in the bed, two under the bed. Why should they care? She's low caste. Came home with tears in his eyes, and he said, I will not only educate these children, but I'm going to feed them, and I'm going to medically treat them. We started our first school. Only 200 children. January of this year, we had our 50th anniversary of our first school that we've opened. Now, 32,000 children. Why? We were burdened. All the states around us were unevangelized. State by state, we started to move in as we had trained Bible school students and graduates. And today in 11 states, our Calcutta Ministries is reaching out to 272 million people. Five Bible schools training pastors. The screen said 700 churches. We now have 900 churches, clinics, Bible schools, schools, training, training, training. Education, so important. And then hunger. You don't know what hunger is. When I was in Calcutta in June walking down those feeding lines, 25,000 in our schools and street feeding programs. On the book table at the back, I have a lovely lady traveling with me, Nancy Gibson. She'll be at the book table. I have a book. For $10, that book feeds a child for 10 days. As much as I would love you to buy a book, because if you want a miracle, I don't have time to tell you huh, 60 years of miracles or you never go home. But if you want a miracle, just read the book and God will give you faith within your heart. But you feed a child for 10 days. And not only do that, but pray for the family that you're feeding. Because whether we educate, whether we medically treat, whether we feed is for one purpose. And one purpose alone is to win that family for Jesus Christ. And in our hospital, what an arm of evangelism. Nine chaplains going from bed to bed every day. 200 hospital, hundreds of outpatients every single day. I walked into the hospital. 500 children are having leukemia, having blood transfusions. I said, Jesus, when you walked this earth, you met a lady with a blood problem. She couldn't get near you, but she touched the hem of your garment. You felt it go out, she felt it go in. And she was healed. I can't tell you how many children are healed 
that go out of our hospital. And then the cleft palates. One out of every 700 children are born with that terrible face due to malnutrition. Walked into the ward, 30 children were going to be operated on the next day. I saw a mother sitting next to her little girl, tears running down her face. I knew why she was crying. If a child is deformed, or if a child is crippled or blind, they are shunned in their reincarnation. They believe that the curse has passed from generation to generation. She can't even go to the well to get water in that village with the other women. Child so deformed. I said, Mother, tomorrow that child will be wheeled into the operating theater. It should come out looking beautiful. And she did. Kept her for dental work. And the latest ministry in our hospital is rural clinics. In villages where we can't build churches. They won't allow us to build churches or even a Christian school. But they'll welcome a medical clinic. And when we get the favor of the villagers... Do you know what happens? The doctor's table becomes the pastor's pulpit, and we have church on Sunday. And this lady came from one of those villages. I said, Mother, take that little girl back to that village. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. And do you know what? The next Sunday, that clinic was packed with villagers wanting to know what Jesus had done for that child. The blind children. I saw the blind in Calcutta. Nobody wants a blind child. It's the worst curse. Give them a cup. Put them into Calcutta to beg. I said, God, give me a blind home. 200 children in my blind home. I was in the hospital when five of them were operated, five beautiful children. I said to the doctor, will they see? She said, some better than others. When the bandages were taken from those eyes, those children looked up to the light. In Hindi, light is bati. And all they could say was bati, bati, bati. They loved the song. Amazing grace. I once was blind, but now I see. When they sang it before, it was not a reality to them. But that day, we held hands in the hospital, and that song became a reality to those children. I once was blind, but now I see. You know, Mother Teresa was a lovely little lady. I knew her so well. She brought all her patients to our hospital. They don't have medical facilities. One day I was in the hospital with her shortly before she took ill. Before she was on her deathbed. And she said these words to me I will never forget. She said, always remember, my dear, it's not how much you do 
but how much love you put in the doing that counts. I said, Mother, do you mean if we don't put Jesus' love in our doing, it's all in vain? And she said, that's what I mean. And then she took my hand in her 87-year-old hand, and she opened my fingers one by one, and she said, when you give to the poor, you do it unto Christ. Dear ones, when you sign that faith promise today, you use your hand. When you give your offerings, you use your hand. Always remember. You may not see the one you help, but God keeps the best records. You give it under Christ. Nothing on that screen would have been developed if it had not been for the faith promises of wonderful congregations like yours. Doing doesn't count unless love motivates it. And loving doesn't count unless doing demonstrates it. You cannot love Jesus without doing something about it. And you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. I told you we were in 11 states, 272 million people. Seven of those states are in Northeast India, where they look more Oriental than they do Indian. I went up there for a pastor's conference. Our general superintendent, a graduate from our Bible school, wonderful young man. He said, Auntie, I'm going to take you somewhere you've never been before. I said, where? He said, above the capital city of the state here of Nogaland, is it the largest cemetery in the Eastern world? World War II. Japanese coming in from Burma wanted to take those seven states as they looked more like Orientals. He took me. I couldn't believe it. Thousands of graves. British, American, Canadian. But as I walked in the cemetery, I was intrigued by the large arch at the opening as you walked in. And on that arch were written these words, go home and tell them, we gave our today for their tomorrow. I stood under that arch. I said, God, we gave thousands of children, not only a today, but a tomorrow. At the 50th anniversary, when I interviewed the alumni, I was thrilled to see those children, poor children, didn't have food to eat. Now, prospering doctors, nurses, teachers, thousands of children of tomorrow. And then I thought of a grave in Calcutta. Mark died so suddenly, overnight. I stood beside that grave. The culture is that you stand till the grave is full, shovel by shovel. I couldn't understand. Why, God? 35 years now we've been in this country. 
We only came for one year. Thirty-five should be enough. Have you ever argued with God? I did that day. But I'll always be thankful that our worship team started to sing that beautiful song, Love So Amazing, So Divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Doesn't ask, dear ones. Doesn't ask. It demands my life, my soul, my all. I said, God, if you help me, I will stay. June of this year, I stood beside that grave. 25 years. I said, God, I can't believe. You've held me 25 years. The work has grown. Now, Mark's vision has been fulfilled. National leadership in every department of our work in 11 states. Trained national leadership. You saw it on the screen today. National leadership. We live in a changing world. A me, myself, and I world. Investments are here today and gone tomorrow. But you know, when you invest in the kingdom of God, it pays the best dividends. You know why? Money is the currency of men, but faith is the currency of God. When you give to God... He pays the best rewards. You know, I'm on television sometimes, and I get asked, what is your greatest accomplishment in the years you've been in India? And I unhesitatingly say, investment in lives. Buildings crumble, but lives live on forever. That CEO of our hospital on the screen this morning is a sponsored child. He heads our hospital and medical clinics and all of our medical ministries. That young lady, another sponsored child, dying with tuberculosis, sponsored child. God healed her. Today she's the head of the elementary schools in all of those schools. That's what investment in lives. I fly so much. I got to Calcutta. I had something wrong with my ear. I said to a nurse, I have to see a doctor, an ENT specialist. She said, oh, yes, we have a new one. He's very good. She took me down the next day and knocked on his door. We walked in. And she said, Dr. Bhattacharya, I want you to meet the president of our mission. I'll never forget. He got up from his chair. Tears in his eyes. He said, Auntie, I don't have to meet you. I met you when I was five years of age. My father brought my brother and myself to you. We were in rags, no shoes on our feet. You put me into school. And then I remembered. I said, are you Subash? He said, yes, I am. I said, Subhash, what happened? He said, remember, I graduated from high school. Oh, yes, I said, I remember. You were an honored student. You got the prize for being the best student in the school. And he said, yes. I prayed 
God, help me to get into medical school, pass my examinations. I want to go back to that hospital and treat the poor. I said, you know, outside there's so many poor waiting to see you. Do you think every time you treat a child of yourself, five years of age, she said, every day, every day. That's all about it. I told in the service just before, I sat on the platform in June. Tears rolled down my cheeks as our associate pastor on Father's Day went to the pulpit in our great church in Calcutta. Packed audience. Preached a marvelous sermon. Why did I cry? Twelve years of age, he was brought to me with his little brother and two sisters from a village near Calcutta, lost his mother and father. I stood beside that grave. We buried those parents. Patrick looked up in my face and said, I go, we've got nobody now, we're orphans. I said, oh, no, you're not. Put my arm around those children. Girls in our girls' home, boys in our boys' home. And today, Patrick, senior associate in that great church. When I see him, I put my arms around him and I say, Patrick, I'm so proud of you. He said, no, auntie. If it wasn't for you, I said, no, not for me, but for God. I read the scripture the last should be first and the first should be last. I couldn't understand it until I read the revised version. It said, those that are inconspicuous here shall be heroes there. I said, oh God, those are my partners. Inconspicuous with your offerings. You're not on television. You're not in magazines. But you know something? God keeps a record the best records. And every building that you saw on the screen this morning, because of faith promises, because of giving, we have what we have today in 11 states, churches, schools. Walked into Hallmark store to buy a card. Looked up on the wall and saw a slogan. I said, oh, Mr. Hallmark, you sell cards with that slogan. I'm going to sell it for, I'm going to steal it for missions. You know what it said? If you love enough, you give your best. How much do you love Jesus today? Do you love him enough to buy a book to feed a child for 10 days? Do you love him enough to increase that faith promise today? Oh God, I can't. Watch. Give to God. Give to missions. And watch him work, as Pastor said. Plant that seed. For doing does not count unless love motivates it. And loving does not count unless doing demonstrates it. Thank you, and God bless you.